This episode of Inspired Souls is brought to you by Canadian Masters Athletics. CMA is a vibrant and welcoming community of Canadians aged 35 and over who share a passion for track and field, cross country, road running, and race walking. That's right, you can participate in athletics until you're in your 70s, 80s, and 90s. In fact, you're never too old to join CMA, only too young. How about that for a refreshing twist? But women in their mid-30s and beyond often face unique challenges such as peri- and post-menopause that can prevent them from being or staying active. This educational series from CMA will address many of these challenges head-on, remove barriers for women who may be struggling, and remind us that we're not alone. So without further delay, please enjoy our conversation with Sasha Gollish. I didn't really know what perimenopause was till perimenopause happened. You know, there's sort of this conversation around puberty, but towards the end, before that moment of menopause, there is this range of time where things just don't work the same. But I had no idea that existed. That was Sasha Gullish, and this is episode 165 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Sasha Gollish is a 42-year-old elite middle and long distance runner who holds the Masters World Record in the Indoor Mile and also represented Team Canada in the Marathon at the 2023 World Athletics Championships in Budapest, Hungary. Sasha has been very open on social media about the challenging perimenopausal symptoms she's been navigating for the past several years, and we just love her honesty and transparency on a subject matter that has historically been clouded in secrecy and shame. Seeing female athletes at the top of their game well into their 40s is a relatively new phenomenon, and yet it's starting to happen across many disciplines. Always one to stand up for what she believes in, Sasha is now using her platform to change the narrative about this stage of life and show women that we can absolutely kick butt into midlife and beyond. We cover a lot of ground in this short episode, so let's get right into it with Sasha Gollish. Okay, well, we're here with Sasha Gollish. Sasha, welcome. And why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, I was on the show previously, so some of you have already been introduced to me. Uh, but I am a 42-year-old runner. I'm a marathon runner, although I like sort of still wish I was a 1,500-meter runner. I'm definitely dabbling in the trails, which I hope makes Kim's face light up. <laughs> um, UTMB, the 55K. It's a 2024 goal of mine. Um, so Excellent. I'm really excited about that. I, you know, play in a whole bunch of distances. Uh, I think I'm sort of becoming more well-known for being vocal on Instagram about some of the female reproductive challenges that I'm going through. And then my day job, because um, being an athlete just isn't sort of like the best way to support yourself necessarily, but also because my brain needs to do different things. I work in the Mental Health and Physical Activity Research Center at the University of Toronto. And so we look at the reciprocal relationship between mental health and physical activity. And so, you know, perimenopause and menopause is like one of the most understudied things in terms of mental health and body image. And so I'm pushing some of my work uh, in that mm. direction. Don't they say research is me-search? <laughs> Oh, yeah, not there. Definitely not there yet. But yes, there's a lot of me search that happens. Yeah. <laughs> so where do you consider yourself in the peri and postmenopausal journey? Where in that spectrum do you consider yourself right now? <laughs> Is it funny? To, I'm on the spectrum somewhere. Um, <laughs> no, it's a great question. And, you know, the short answer is I don't know. And I think one of the reasons I don't know is because I didn't really know what perimenopause was till perimenopause happened. And 
you know, there were a lot of signs and symptoms that it was probably occurring earlier in, in my life. So migraines, I just actually recently found out. Um, and I had a brutal migraine starting in 2016. So that might be the earliest. But, you know, somewhere in the spring after the Vienna Marathon, I just couldn't, quotation marks, recover and come back. And so all of a sudden, I started sort of Googling things. And I actually had a conversation with Jen Saigo. And I was like, Jen, really think I'm in perimenopause. And she was like, and secretly like, Sash, I really think you have reds. And the challenge is there's so many overlapping symptoms. Um, Mm. But the big giveaway was that bones, my bones were in great shape. And I wasn't missing periods and they were, and they were heavy. And so, you know, in talking with Jen, Jen was like, listen, you're really not in reds and you're going to have to go seek out some help from somebody else. Um, she's like, I really wanted to tell you you were in reds just because it's your specialty, not to like diagnose me with something else. So I am somewhere on the spectrum. I think I'm getting closer to that, you know, moment of menopause when you cease having periods. Um, I had my first hot flash, uh, I guess it was about a week ago. Uh, I was in my kitchen and I was like, oh my God, I have COVID. I was mm. like, I'm, I'm, I, my, I'm lightheaded. I feel like a virus is attacking me. And all of a sudden I started sweating. It lasted two and a half minutes. That's no COVID. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. And, you know, I didn't actually ever look up what a hot flash was. And if you look up sort of like the symptomology of a hot flash, I absolutely had experienced my first hot flash, mm. which is also a note to myself that I need to celebrate that on Instagram because we should celebrate the weirdness of all of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love how open you've been on Instagram. And actually, that was one of the reasons we really wanted to have you on here. So just backing up, you said you think you might have noticed your first symptoms way back in 2016. So you're 42 now, and that was seven years ago. So you started noticing at 35, do you think? Yeah, if you sort of like put the retrospective lens on, I think somewhere yeah. around 35. So there's another telltale sign. So um, Peyton Jordan, uh, which for those of you who don't know, is this like very famous track meet. Um, and it's known for producing fast 5,000 and 10,000 meter times. And I was actually there running the 1500. Don't ask, probably should have run the 5,000. Wasn't going to be my night anyways. But um, I distinctly, Peyton Jordan's got this like kind of standard setup where you like get called into the call room and you're not allowed to leave. And it's all volunteer run. And there were these very lovely but elderly men who ran the call room. And they were really helpful. But I looked like I had suffered a gunshot wound. And so I, out of nowhere, got a period. But it wasn't my normal period, which is like, oh, gosh, I don't know. Like, let's call it medium flow. It was literally like I looked like I'd been shot in the crotch. And I just was like bleeding everywhere and really heavily. And the man looked at me and he's like, ma'am, you do what you need to do. You can come back in here, but like you go. Um, And I was having like the race of my life. And I was, I think I was on pace for Olympic standard. And with 200 meters to go, it was the most gut-wrenching pain. It felt like my pelvis was trying to open up. Like, and it was almost like my legs didn't know how to work because it felt like my, my legs were kind of opening up and almost like you're going through, you know, puberty and it's like, oh, your pelvis is widening and you got to figure out your limbs again, but very quickly, like over the span of like 10 meters. And all of a sudden I like couldn't run, but it was just, it was the discomfort. And then from there, the sort of typical, what you see in perimenopause is you get heavier periods, particularly in the early phase of your period. And that would sort of happen every six months. And then, you know, within the last two years, it really, that was like an every month thing. And so, you know, it could have been as early as 2016 and it, could have been as late as probably 
2021 in the thick of the pandemic when I was for sure thinking about different uh, different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, but at, in 2016, like when these things started happening, were you connecting dots? Like this could be perimenopause or were you just like, what is happening with my body? Uh, wh- what is happening with my body? There was yeah. zero connection. Yeah. And I think part of that's because there's just no conversation around it, right? Correct. You know, there's sort of this conversation around puberty, you mm-hmm. have your period and then that ends. But there's this actually like this it's not a messy middle. It's actually like a consistent, lovely, predictable middle for most of us. Mm. There's there's nuance to that and not everybody has this. But towards the end, before menop- that moment of menopause, there is this range of time where things <laughs> just don't work the same. Yeah. But I had no idea that existed. And I can't even tell you where I came across the word perimenopause. Um, it must have been in the last six months. But I, you know, just back then I didn't know to know. And now I know. And that's why I'm trying to spread the word. Right. Right. So it's really been retrospective of you. You know, it wasn't Mm -hmm. a a single moment of awareness like, oh, this period must mean something. It was looking back and going, (laughs) oh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And other people giving you input as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, Sasha. So you've talked about migraines. You've talked about uh, that was way back in 2016, you talked about hot flashes more recently and and kind of this change in in flow in the middle. Is there anything else that comes to mind as like a symptom that you experience, whether retrospectively or in the moment? How much time do we have, ladies? <laughs> uh, yeah, there's several. Um, okay. So, and I don't even know where to start with these. I'm going to start with some of the ones that I've experienced lately. So, a new thing that started to happen, and I think this one started to happen within the last year, maybe only within the last six months, is Two nights before I would get my period, I would get disrupted sleep. And I think if you go back to our last podcast, I talk a lot about how like I am a sleep champion. It's like my superpower. So you can imagine when disrupted sleep happened, I was like, what? What do you mean? Yeah. You mean I'm not sleeping tonight? What? What is happening? And I don't have – some people get the like intrusive thoughts of like mm-hmm. I need to do this and I need to do that. I'm just like I'm awake and that's a ceiling. Like there's no sort of reason for me to be awake. Like – I guess whatever happens with my hormones keeps me awake. And I guess I still have like done all the things where like my head is clear sleeping, but I can see, you know, for some people, if you don't, you can sleep and whatever, but if you have those like, oh, I need to do this, this, or this, or you have intrusive thoughts that it would make falling asleep even more challenging on those nights. So for me, it's two nights before I still get my period. I know that it's different for other people. So like, that's a definitive sign. Um, Skin. Oh my gosh. So one, I got zits my entire life. Whoever told teenagers that they're a teenage thing lied. (laughs) So I would get zits like regularly. It was like, oh, my periods. So I guess disrupted sleep and zits shifted. They switched, right? Uh, So I used to get zits like two days before I got my period. I'm like, I don't know what's coming. Now I get disrupted sleep. But my skin was, is so dry at times that it just cracks. So, and it was like, scaly. I compared myself to like a dragon. I was like, oh, look, the dragon scales are out today. And it would just be impossibly itchy and awful. And so like, I just would put coconut oil on in the shower and Mm. that seemed to help. What are other funny things? Oh, achy joints. Oh my gosh. That was my, that was my least favorite, but the funniest. So I think that was really what triggered in the spring, like being like, okay, I am in the thick of perimenopause here because I would have joints that felt swollen and looked like really my knees would look swollen and they were just achy and not like 10 out of 10, like 0.5 to 2 out of 10, but all the time. And you would go running and you would just feel, I felt incompetent. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I'm an elite runner. 
I have done this a lot. So there's a certain competence that I'm looking for on my feet when I'm like striding and I couldn't find it. And I was just was like, what is going on? And then my muscles felt like mashed potatoes encased in burlap sacks. So there was like no structure to them. And I was like, what? What? I, I know I'm muscular. I know I'm toned. I can lift. But why won't you fire properly? And so I have no idea what causes that, but that's how I felt. I'm like, oh my gosh, what are some of the other ones? I mean, I may, I hope I make people laugh. I mean, and I know there's going to be other people talking about this, but you know, those are like some of the primary symptoms. I guess swollen hands. I have a great family doctor who was like, no, you can't be in perimenopause. You're too young. And we went through all the things. And he's like, you're absolutely in perimenopause, but we also have to check a couple other things. So my hands get really swollen. And he's like, I just want to make sure you don't have lupus or rheumatoid arthritis, which you don't. But I found that like my hand joints and even my toes a little bit, like they're like little sausages. And I'm like, why? Why do you need to be this way? Hmm. Did you notice anything cognitively? Like from oh, a- yeah, brain fog. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Brain fog. Terrible. <laughs> terrible, terrible brain fog. I'd be like, I need to do this task. <laughs> Squirrel, what task was that? <laughs> and I just couldn't remember a thing. And I would just like sit at my computer with like my hands on the keyboard, being like, I have to do something. I need to do something. And then my imposter syndrome actually was raging. And so, you know, we all have imposter syndrome at some point, you know, for whatever reason. And it's actually, someone pointed out to me once, like, it's almost a privilege to have imposter syndrome, except when it comes to perimenopause. Because most of the time, you know, imposter syndrome kind of manifests because you're being asked to do something because somebody else thinks you're an expert and really good at what you're doing and you sort of don't believe in yourself, right? So privilege. But during perimenopause, everything is challenging. And you're like, (laughs) but these are the things I've been doing, right? Like, you know, like this imposter syndrome is rearing through me alone. So yeah, yeah. Well, you, I, I just love the way that you bring some lightness and humor to this. <laughs> and you have had some hysterical little video compilations on Instagram, which I've just been loving. But one of them, I remember you talking about rage, and you just kind of mentioned that word oh. there. And so, talk to us about any kind of like. Like, how would you define that? Like mood changes? Like, what are you raging about? Is it anything? Um, Or is it certain things that uh, cause you to fly up the handle? (laughs) Okay, so my partner and I, Ron and I, he and I joke that like, when we have like serious screaming matches, they're over like the dumbest things. Mm -hmm. So like, the blinds don't close all the way and there's like a little bit of light coming through. And so other dumb things that I get mad about my relationship with my stepchildren has been challenging. And I think it's because I was trying to control a situation that I wanted at a space and a place because I was trying to seek comfort through a whole lot of change that I didn't understand was happening. Mm. And so young teenagers, you know, they're not, they're older teenagers now in early twenties. Like they're just constantly dynamically changing as they should, which is yeah. great. Yeah. But my brain and my hormones couldn't like get congruence between those two. And so- right. I wanted to love these people so hard and be understanding, but I like literally didn't have the hormone space. And so everything that I was trying to express basically came out the exact opposite way I wanted it to come out, Mm -hmm. Um, which doesn't make it right. But, you know, you can, you know, you look back like historically, right. And we think about like hysterectomies to like not make women Mm -hmm. hysterical. Oh no, that's gonna make women way more hysterical. Why? You've ripped away all of their hormones now. Of course they're going to be hysterical. Um, and witches, right? Like I really want to dig into the research and like the historical significant significance of witches. They were probably primarily single women who didn't have children who had 
hormone imbalances at young ages like me. I'm like, I would have been burned at the stake for sure. You like absolutely would have been burned at the stake as a witch, right? Like ultra feminist, like stand up for a whole bunch of rights and rage, just have rage. And so not that we can like go back and like actually see what these people were like in action, but like, I can't help but wonder if, you know, like the witch trials really were the like young women going through perimenopause trials. Mm, interesting. interesting. <laughs> okay. So I'm wondering how all of this manifested in your running. Did it change? Did you notice certain things that, um, you, you know, as runners, we're very in tune with our bodies. Did you wake up one day and go, what body am I in? And what is it doing? Like, what was your experience? Okay. So one video I really want to make is like perimenopause is a l- little bit like puberty, right? So like puberty. We talk to young girls about it. You wake up, you start growing boobs, you know, you get this like widening pelvis. We talk about the Q angle and those like for reference, the Q angle is basically the angle between your hips and your knees. And it's wider in women because our hips sort of like splay out as we go through puberty. Something similar happens in perimenopause, except you're not going out widthwise. You're going out front and back. And, you know, they call it menopot. And I was like, Okay, I have a menopot. And the reason you get a menopot, and like, again, I'm not an expert, but like me search, but like actual research is you produce estrogen in the fat, fattiest areas of your body, which in women are your stomach. And so your body naturally starts producing fat so it can produce estrogen. It's not trying to make you fat. It's trying to produce estrogen because that's what it wants and it needs. And I think the same thing with boobs, right? Like all of a sudden I was like, how did I go from flat chest? I'm a C. I went from a C in a week. And they hurt. Are these pregnancy boobs? Like, you know, they don't touch. If you look at them, they hurt. And I just was like, okay, so like perimenopause is like puberty, but you you get boobs again, but you just go out and back in the front and the back. And it's kind of odd. It's uncomfortable. And so like it made running sort of uncomfortable because I was like, I just have to hold my boobs right now. I don't, I have sports bras for flat chested people. And this is very uncomfortable. I think I duct taped them at one point. Anyways, I've sorted that out. But, you know, going back to some of those symptoms, like, the muscles not contracting and the achy joints for me really was like, mm-hmm. okay, this isn't recovery. Something else is going on, right? This yeah. is no longer recovering from a marathon. And like, to, just to, for reference, I didn't finish the marathon. I only got to 25K. The new Nike shoe gave me the worst blister I've ever had in my life and it changed my gait. And then like kind of had some hip pain. So I was like, well, I got 17K to go. This is not going to work out. So like, we're just going to stop now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the you know, the toll on my body and you know, a month later still feeling like that. I was like, this isn't the marathon. This is something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now you're speaking f- as a distance runner. You've spoken to that. You're a lifelong runner. You've been an athlete all your life. So your training age is yeah. high and you're competitive. You're elite. Yeah. So this is a a certain profile that not everybody has, but you're speaking to like, you're very in tune with your body. And now you're realizing like, what is going on with this? Did you notice anything in your actual athletic performance that changed? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's all relative, right? So like, yes, I'm probably going to run faster than most people, but um, I slowed down and it was, again, it's going back to this like competence thing, right? Like I just didn't feel competent on my feet. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't find my stride. So I couldn't find that efficiency. So I couldn't find that speed. Motivation was gone. There was like oh. zero desire to go out the door and work out. And I think that's one of the, and listen, not everybody has all the same symptoms, but like from my research, like it really seems like motivation is a key thing. And so like once upon a time during perimenopause, when women had achy joints and muscles, doctors told them not to work out. And so if you layer on this like misconception from the past with like, 
low motivation, people aren't going to go out the door. And so you would get even slower. And like on the days where I was like, I don't want to do this, I would force myself to at least go for a walk, right? Because that connection to nature would at least make me feel better. And sometimes I would run and sometimes I just felt so crappy that I wouldn't, didn't want to run. But, you know, there was also this like, regardless of where you are, elite or not elite, like, you know, there's anguish for letting go of who you were before. Cause you know, you know, even if I get back to like whatever times they were, it's different. Right. And so there's letting go of what was before. And I think that was, that really, for me, was the hardest part. Yes. It's a, it is a grieving process of letting go even just yeah. year to year. Um, totally. Okay. So I have to ask you, is there anything that surprised you or challenged you or anything that you wish you had known before moving into this phase of life? Other than all of the above. <laughs> yeah, all of the above, like that perimenopause existed, right? Yeah. Like we don't, you know, a lot of my research is destigmatizing and normalizing things, right? Like it's not just at the perimenopause phase. Like, you know, how do we talk about like male coaches walking around with tampons and pads? And there doesn't have to be a conversation to be like, who has their period, but just be like, as part of like the coaching training bag, along with band-aids and Q-tips and bobby pins and safety pins, there's now tampons and pads for like Mm -hmm. whomever needs them. And not to, you know, there's no guy's bag and girl's bag to normalize the conversation so that like Mm -hmm. males and men, you know, like we'll stay out of the gender conversation right now, know what's going on so that everybody's part of this conversation. And so, you know, I sort of just wish that more of these symptoms were talked about. Cause again, like they're going to be really different for everybody, right? Like Mm -hmm. this is one of the challenges of the female reproductive system, right? It's why it's been ignored in science for so long, right? There's so much nuance to it, right? There's a lot of generalities. I think the, the brain fog and the motivation seem to be like two major um, symptoms that people experience, like, uh, and the, the heavy periods and the painful periods, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I remember being in high school being like, your period's so painful, you can't come to school. Like, what is wrong with you? And then I went through this and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a terrible person. I owe all of those people an apology. This is awful. Helps to develop our compassion. Compassion and empathy, but just like transparency, right? Like people who have a uterus are going to go through something really different. And, you know, people without a uterus, you know, like they have a performance decline too, but it's, it's pretty steady. And, you know, I wish someone had told me that like, it's going to be a precipice. Like you literally are going to fall off a precipice one day and you'll never get back to the top. You know, you can do things and take things and, Mm -hmm. and hormone therapy and other supplements to help, but you will never again get back up to the top of that precipice. And it happens overnight. Yes. Yes. Back to that grieving process. That sounds disconcerting to somebody who maybe hasn't fallen off the precipice yet. Um, I'm here when you what, do. I'm here for yeah, you. What have what can you do? Like what have you done to catch yourself at the bottom, to bounce, to support yourself through that time? Step one, this is normal, right? This mm-hmm. is normal. We are all going to go through this. I am not alone, right? Step one, mm-hmm. connect with people. For me, it was having some lightness with it, right? Not making fun of myself and not making fun of anybody else, but making bringing light to the situation to make myself laugh because that's how I like to move through the world. But the connectedness piece, mm-hmm. right? Connecting with other people to be like, well, hey, I had this and have you tried this? And so step two, and I was really nervous to do this, right? I have a young male doctor, right? To connect with him and say, hey, 
I'm 40. I'm not even 42 yet, right? I'm 41. My birthday's not till December 27th. And I am going to celebrate the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> and there we go. I got a giggle. Um, here's what I think I'm going through. And if your doctor doesn't believe you, you need to say to your doctor, hey, these symptoms are real and you don't have to believe me, but I need you to connect me with somebody else that will. Yeah. And my doctor has been nothing short of amazing. Mm-hmm. And I don't regret not reaching out to him earlier. Like we're probably talking like a couple weeks. Like, you know, I'd been in conversation, you know, with my previous doctor who switched practice. So I have a new doctor, you know, I think he sort of knew what was going on and was a little bit guiding me, but maybe didn't have the words to say, this is what it is. You know, it's not perimenopause, not taught in medical school, right? Mm -hmm. It's not, you have to take a specialty on menopause, and they talk about menopause, but they don't really talk about perimenopause. So you have to have somebody really special that like understands this like transition phase in life. Mm, I love this. Okay, you're talking so much about connection and being surrounded by the right people. And as an elite athlete, you're used to this idea of an integrated support team, right? When you go and compete at Worlds, like you just did, you have an IST and it's all the right people who can be there supporting you. So you've started to talk a little bit about this. You've got a a great doctor. You've asked him to connect you with other, other professionals. Who else is on your support team? I mean, definitely my partner here. So Rawl, he's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, he's funny. He's like, I've never been with a partner who's gone through this. And I was like, okay, well, it'd be weird if you were 20 and dating a 45-year-old. We'd have to have a different conversation. <laughs> um, my parents let me be really open about it. You know, like my mom's like, just ask all the questions you want. She's like, you're right. We don't talk about perimenopause. And, you know, my mom's the interim dean at the medical school at U of T. And she's seeing the changes that are happening now in the curriculum and the different programs that are coming about and she's all in support of it. And so, you know, I don't think it was that we didn't talk about it at home. I don't think she had, you know, she was a doctor. She's like, well, we don't have this in the curriculum, so I can't cover it with you at home. It's great having an animal in those days where I'm like, I can't go for a run today. Like everything hurts. Mm -hmm. This isn't working. Like it will suck if it happens on the day of a race and it's going to happen, you know, like, um, but I got the dog, we can go for a walk, but you know, going back to that other vein of thought, Devin Yanko and Camille Heron have been, unbelievable social media friends. And I can't wait to see them in person again, because I know we'll be friends in person. And, you know, Devin Yanko had a really crappy race, I think about a month ago. And she had an outstanding race this weekend and qualified for Western States. And, you know, those two women who are my, but like, I think Camille Heron said, like, I'm a day older than her. So she's my, you know, I'm her elder. She will listen to me. (laughs) Um, We're all the same age and going through the exact same things. And so it's so nice to have somebody your exact age who does the exact same thing you do going through the exact same thing. So you're like, okay, this is in a sense, quotation marks, normal. Yeah. All right. So you have identified some great support systems. What other advice or potential treatments have you sought to support yourself through this? So this, I mean, it gets credited to my mom, number one, but hormone replacement therapy. So yes, there is a whole body of information out there and it was disproved. And it's a little bit like uh, vaccines cause autism. That science was disproved, but because the initial voice was so loud, nobody's listening to the evidence-based voice that we need to hear. Mm-hmm. Hormone therapy looks very different for everybody. So my first step was getting an IUD, right? A progesterone-based IUD. And I might be wrong on this, but there's some evidence that like, if you can increase your progesterone, your estrogen production will go up. 
Didn't happen for me. But hey, my progesterone's gone up. So the so DHES, which I absolutely cannot pronounce, um, it's one of the sex hormones as well. Um, that went up a little bit with my um, IUD. But I started taking something called pregnenolone. So pregnenolone absolutely sounds like I'm taking a performance-enhancing drug. I am not taking a performance-enhancing drug. Pregnenolone is the precursor to estrogen. So why it sounds like a performance-enhancing drug is you would take something similar if you wanted to build testosterone. I don't want to build testosterone. All I want to build is estrogen. I just want all of the estrogen production to happen because that's what controls my achy joints and my like marshmallow mashed potato muscles, as I call them. (laughs) I'm also taking ashwagandha in the mornings. Mm -hmm. So I get a cortisol spike first thing in the morning, like crazy cortisol spike. Like if I don't take this, like the rage in the morning is outstanding. Coffee, no coffee. Like it is. Woo. So um, ashwagandha is known as a cortisol inhibitor. And so it just levels out my cortisol. It actually then improves the imposter syndrome because you don't get this spike of rage, which just makes you feel awful about yourself, which I think sort of like triggers imposter syndrome. So that's been really great. Um, And then iron. And I know in the last episode, I talked about iron. And so, you know, I've always been really fortunate that my ferritin has been quite high and it's, it's generally somewhere between 82 and 86. And it's been consistently at 71 in the last year. And so I've started taking um, a liver supplement along with my iron supplement. So I take the liver supplement every day as opposed to iron every other day. And the difference in that has been amazing. And I get that not everybody, uh, people are vegetarians and vegans. I am allergic to all legumes and no world am I ever going to be a vegetarian or a vegan. It's never going to work out for me. <laughs> so liver um, has a liver supplement's been really helpful, hilariously, and probably not surprising. The dog also every so often is like, liver oh, yeah. liver supplement i'm for your eyes i'll take one of those you can open up that capsule and sprinkle it on the floor for me thank you very the much the dog's like i'm perimenopausal too yeah she, she's, maybe she is. is that why she's so ragey um but i'd say like those are the like primary supplements that i've really okay. started taking and have really made a difference interesting yeah hey okay. But, you know, those are what worked for you. They may not work for everybody, yeah. but it's something to think about that there are some options. It's good to know. And I, I'd be remiss to say that if, you know, um, BCAG5, I apologize that I can't remember the breast cancer term, but, mm. you know, if you're, you have a predisposition to breast cancer, like your hormone therapy options are very limited, mm. right? Like you're, you have to be really careful with what you take. And so, you know, make sure that you absolutely connect with a licensed medical practitioner just to make sure. And, you know, if you're seeing a naturopath is a great idea as long as along with your doctor and there's all these great different, you know, practitioners to connect with, but you can't hide from them what you're taking. Right. Right. And so seek their advice, but it's got to be an, you know, integrated support team. Integrated is the key word here. Mm -hmm. You can't go to them with the same problem and take different supplements without letting them know, because that's where these like reactions and you know, potentially like negating effects can happen mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Oh, that is such a great, great point. Thank you for for raising that. Now, we'll we'll close with kind of a uh, shifting gears a little bit, a very different question from, you know, the, the medical stuff and who's on your support team. But do you feel that your own upbringing or cultural background has played into the way that you've experienced or made sense of this phase of your life? I think it's such a great question. So there's, you know, a couple lenses I want to bring. So, you know, I grew up with two medical practitioners, right? My dad was an orthopedic surgeon and my mom's an anesthesiologist. Like you could pretty much talk about anything. 
this is, you know, you may edit this out, but you know, like there was one day in the kitchen where my mom, my sister and I were talking, my dad was like, Oh, what are you talking about? My sister was like, we're making appointments with the vagina rippers, right? Like we were going to get bikinis, <laughs> bikini waxes, right? And we were like trying to stage them with nail appointments. And my dad was like leaving. Um, so like, you know, like they would buy tampons, pads, whatever we need, right? Like it was, a, it was an open conversation. We growing up actually didn't say the the four letter word, the love word a ton, but we really loved each other. And that's kind of changed. And that's really changed and made me feel much more comfortable, mom or dad, to be like, these are some of the symptoms I'm feeling. If you don't have an answer, is there anybody in your medical community that you think I could reach out to? So that's been been really helpful. So then Jewish. And so, you know, I was thinking about the book, Anita Diamond's The Red Tent, right? And so, you know, once upon a time in the Jewish faith, when you had your period, you went and sat in a tent while you were bleeding. And when that stopped, you know, you no longer went into the tent. But I wonder what story isn't there. And then, but I wonder what story they're also not telling about how women who were Jewish moved through perimenopause and menopause and like how they kept them in, in society and, and how they passed on those tales and those stories, even though they didn't go into the red tent. And, you know, like, building those stories, you know, through an intersectional lens, right? Like using gender and then looking at race, indigeneity, social class, you know, disability, right? Like how do we learn from each other and our uniqueness to tell this collective story to tie us all together in this journey? I literally just got shivers. Yeah. You (laughs) raised some amazing points in a very articulate way. Yeah. um, Way more (laughs) questions in my head right now than answers. So, you know, you talk about being raised in a household that was very open with, with physicians that, like you said, right. you, you said, if you don't know the answer, send me to someone who has, which has informed the way you're handling and processing this journey right now, even to the point that you're very open on social media, you're open <laughs> about talking <laughs> about it. And I, I think that's great because not everybody grows up in a culture with a family that is so open. So totally. And I think one really good point actually before is good vulnerability and bad vulnerability, right? Mm-hmm. It's okay to talk about heavy periods. We don't need to take it farther than that, right? Um, If we want to draw people in, we've got to have good vulnerability. So people want to hear the story and they want to lean in, right? We don't, and we will at times offend people. And that's okay because we don't know what their line of vulnerability is. But, you know, just sort of being conscious of that to draw people in and, you know, really that, that ethnic lens, right? Thinking about where you need more modesty in your language and where you really need to be like, sensitive so that if someone's going through something challenging and you recognize that in them, you don't make it about you. You make it about them because you want to bring them in to your journey by sharing their Mm -hmm. journey. I have one last question on that note of drawing people in. How do we draw people into this conversation who don't have a uterus, whether it be men, whether it be people of, of different identities what do you want them to know as they relate to women going through menopause? This is really challenging. And I think the commonality is let's talk about something challenging you're going through. And so that we can go from this place of like, this is really hard and I can't make sense of this. Tell me about something in your life that you're having trouble making sense of. And we'll find a common thread there. I'm reading uh, Simran Jeet Singh's The Light We Give. And it, he talks about sick culture and how everybody has a light inside them. And so our light diminishes when those challenging things overcome us and overwhelm us. And our light can be extinguished if those really become overwhelming. 
And so you have to look into someone's soul and their light and their light will tell you all of the great things about them, but it will also invite you into a conversation about all the really challenging things that they face. And it is that challenging thing that we all face that is the common thread. And I think if we can start from that commonality of talk to me about something that's really challenging, I think we open the door to conversation as opposed to making it all about us and what we find so hard and as opposed to making it about the other person. Perfect. All right, Sasha, what is one thing that you want to leave people with on this topic? Oh, okay. So tough question. Probably the toughest question that, you know, you've asked all conversation to be connected. I think I want to leave people with make connection, you know, whether it's with someone else going through perimenopause, somebody else going through something challenging, make connection. Cause when we're alone, you suffer in silence and nobody needs that ever. Huge thanks to Canadian Masters Athletics for sponsoring this episode. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you love running, jumping, throwing, or walking and want to be part of a supportive community of like-minded people, then head on over to canadianmasters.ca to learn more or check out our show notes for their social links. We'd love to continue the conversation on the CMA Facebook group and Instagram.